Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast, available on all major podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts from, so you don't miss a single episode. Hello and welcome to the Daily Digest from Football Digest with me, Ned Keating. I'm joined this morning by Alex Richards as we look at a transfer window that, that perhaps is starting to kick into life now, Alex. Um, we're going to be discussing Chris Wood today, Felipe Coutinho, possibly a li- little bit of Luca Dinia as well because that's just uh, been confirmed in terms of the fee just as we're going live this morning. Uh, Anthony Martial as well, although it doesn't look like he might be on the move. But as I said at the top there, we're going to start with Chris Wood. Um and it probably sums up how these transfer windows happen, I suppose, Alex. When you were last on the show on Monday, we were talking with a, with a fair degree of confidence, I think, that Chris Wood was going to go to Newcastle. Yesterday's show, we were talking about the fact that maybe Newcastle were going to have to shop abroad because Premier League clubs, and especially those clubs like Burnley, who are relegation rivals, were reluctant to sell to Newcastle. Um, and then, yeah, last night and, and this morning, all the news is, is that Chris Wood is going to be the latest uh, signing for Newcastle's new revolution. Yeah, certainly. And it's, it's a weird one in terms of you've got a team in a Premier League who are in a relegation battle selling to another team in a Premier League in a relegation battle. Um I, I tweeted last night that this is a deal that we will not know who is who, who has won, who has lost on it until the end of the season. Um, we just we just possibly can't. You can look at the fee, some, some saying 20 million, some saying 25 million, and you can have your thoughts on that and whether Newcastle are overpaying and, and whether whether Burnley should let him go for that. I think, I think the general consensus is that a lot of people can't quite believe the fee. Um, but you have to look at the situation of both teams. They're both desperate to, to stay in the Premier League and then come the end of the season, 25 million to Newcastle United is going to look like absolutely nothing if they can stay up. And if Chris Wood scores seven, eight goals between now and the end of the campaign, and that's the difference between staying up and going down, then he's absolutely worth it. He'll be a bargain. Um, it's very interesting what Burnley do now because I don't think that despite Chris Wood not, he's only got three goals this season, he hasn't been anything like his best. He's still been Sean Dyche's number one centre forward, um, due partly to injuries to, to Ashley Barnes and and perhaps others not really hitting form either. Um, he's still been Dyche's number one man. This transfer seems to have been signed off above Dyche's head. Um, it, it seems as though Burnley's Burnley's hierarchy have decided we've got to take the money for a guy who is thirty and he's eighteen months left on his contract. It's a record um, transfer fee, I think, outside of when they sold Michael Keane to Everton. Um, so that's kind of, you know, they, they can't really turn down this kind of money for him. But as, as I say that, at the same time, if Burnley get relegated because they haven't scored enough goals and they then lose out on Premier League money, this deal doesn't quite look so good, does it? Um, so it's a really interesting situation and I think we can all understand certainly from the player's perspective, why he would swap Burnley for Newcastle right now. Uh, and because if he if he does score the goals and if he can keep them up, he'll be a hero up there and then he can look forward to what Newcastle will undoubtedly be trying to build in the summer, provided, of course, they do stay up. I think I can uh, think of tens of thousands of reasons of why Chris Wood might be swapping <laughs> Burnley for Newcastle as well. It's um, not, it's not it's difficult, is it? <laughs> um, but in terms of what he's going to bring to Newcastle. I mean, as I said yesterday uh, on the show, we were talking about Newcastle potentially looking at Hugo Ekatike, uh, uh, an impressive teenager, but 
He's a teenager. He's not going to be someone who's going to lead the line for you. Chris Wood has that Premier League experience, has that experience of relegation battles uh, on a regular basis with Burnley. You know, there's only been the. I'm, I'm not even sure even if he was in that that squad that time when they did um, get into the the Europa League qualifying rounds. But he's had that regular experience of relegation battles with Burnley, and that's going to be again something crucial. I know this is something that we say daily on this podcast when it comes to Newcastle's transfer dealings, but the right characters and those with the right experience are probably what they need. A bit, Maybe a bit of short-termism, perhaps. Yeah, certainly. And I think that's that's very much the market Newcastle in right now because you aren't going to be going out and signing these, these sexy players that they undoubtedly want to sign because they just don't want to come for a relegation battle. Your top-end players aren't coming to Newcastle this month. Newcastle have got to kind of reevaluate where they're at and he's the kind of player that they need. Um of course, this is the proviso that Chris Wood will get back to the Chris Wood we've seen in recent seasons because every year he's played a full season in the Premier League, he's hit double figures. This year, he's only got three goals for Burnley. Now, that's a real drop-off from him. Yes, he's still a, still a big guy, still a handful. Defenders can't let him go for a second. He still roughs up defenders. He's still got a, a very good touch and he brings others into play. So he, he gives Newcastle that focal point that they really need with Callum Wilson set to miss some time. Um, because as we know, when, when Callum Wilson doesn't play, Newcastle don't tend to score goals and they don't tend to win games. So they need to rectify that. I think Wood does go some way to doing that in that he gives you that attacking focal point. He gives you a big presence. And he gives you a sort of players that were like Francis and Max Mann, Miguel Amaron. They can bounce the ball off and they can put crosses into and they can, they can feed off. Um, it's no surprise Eddie Howe has, has made a move like this and it's no surprise really that at the end of the day Newcastle decided let's just pay the money and let's just get him can let's say Callum Wilson when he does return to fitness that, that Eddie Howe uh, wants to play two up top can Wilson and Wood play effectively together I know obviously Newcastle's deficiencies have been at the back this season you know and who would forgive them for playing a bit more defensive but to, to quote one of our former friends at Reach Towers goals win games and um, I suppose that if you do have Wood and Wilson up top that might help Newcastle but do they have the ability to maybe complement each other obviously we've seen Allenson Maximan playing uh, alongside Callum Wilson so far but he's not really an out and out centre forward he's just there to do a job whereas obviously Chris Wood would be that, that out and out striker Yeah certainly I think I I think we've seen Chris Wood and Ashley Barnes um, as a pair really do well for Burnley in recent seasons. And, and I think this would be a similar kind of partnership because Barnes likes to likes to play on the shoulder of defenders and likes to make those runs down channels. That's Callum Wilson's game. That's, that's what Callum Wilson does. He plays on the shoulder. He plays on the last man. He makes the runs. He tries to break the offside trap. He's a poacher. Um, and I think having Chris Wood and his ability to link play and, and to be a focal point, that will suit Wilson. And it will suit St Maximum because he is undoubtedly Newcastle's biggest asset. He's their biggest weapon. Um, but those times when he has been asked to play centre forward or he's been asked to play centrally, that doesn't really suit him. Um, he, he's far better playing from the left-hand side, having that little bit of space, picking the ball up a little bit deeper, turning, facing his man and, and running at defenders. That is where Alisson Maximum gets joy. That's where he's at his best. And that's where Newcastle fans love to see him getting on the ball and making things happen. It's, no, it's been no good for, for him or for Newcastle, really, having him play as a centre-forward and he's back to goal. It doesn't suit him. So Wood, Wood and Wilson, when they get those two together, I think that's a partnership that could really really work for Newcastle at the top end of the pitch. As you say, Ned, defensively is where they've got big problems, though, so they will need to shore it up at the other end. If they can't, then, you know, having Wilson and Wood and whatever whatever goodness those two can bring as a pair, 
not quite going to cut it unless they sort it out at the back. So that's what that's what Eddie Howe, if he does look to go down this route, and you know, hopefully Callum Wilson will be back around the end of February to to play his part in the running for them. That's what Eddie Howe will need to sort out. He'll he, this kind of sorts itself, I think. Wood and Wilson as your front two, so Maxman back in his best position. I think that kind of sorts itself and gives you that attacking threat. Now you've got to sort out the defensive side because, as we've seen too often this season, they're still very flaky at the back, and, and, and teams have a lot of joy. Uh, as ever, we're getting plenty of comments in on the show. Uh, Abham Emmanuel uh, suggesting uh, about Chris Wood not being the, the most highest profile uh, of, of signings for Newcastle. Newcastle better sign world-class strikers. Uh, he's never played in the Champions League. Tell me it's a joke. But that, that's not the player that they need. I know we mentioned it earlier, but they don't need Champions League players. They need players that, that are up for a fight almost. They're not going to get Champions League players right now. Kieran, Kieran Tripp is the exception rather than the rule. And, and the fact of the matter is Kieran Trippier wanted to return to, to England to be close to his family and, 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 and that's why Newcastle have been able to get him from Atletico Madrid. They're not going to sign world-class strikers. They're not going to get your Champions League top goal scorers right now. Newcastle need to be just basically surviving. They need to get players in who are going to get them to survive and then they can go again and build. Burnley are going to be the recipients of a, of a nice little paycheck from this deal. So you said they're the fee around about £20, £25 million. Pounds. Um, in terms of what they're going to look to invest that in, I'm, I'm pretty certain it is going to be a striker. As you mentioned it there, you know, Chris Wood is their second top league goal scorer this year with three goals. Maxwell Cornet having six. Um, Ashley Barnes is injured, but between him and, and Jay Rodriguez, they're yet to net in the Premier League this season. So, so a striker is exactly what Burnley are probably going to be spending a vast amount of this sum on. And um, I've seen Kiefer Moore being possibly linked with him with a move, and that would be some some rise for for a player who what was it this time you know five years ago had only just moved to to Ipswich Town, and I think there was a, a series of fortunate events actually. I think Ipswich are looking at a, a different non-league striker, and they couldn't get him. So, so Kiefer was offered up potentially by the agent as a, as a bit of a backup. Um, and, and the way that he's gone and he's gone on to Wales now and played brilliantly at the Euros, but is it a massive ask to ask him to step up? I know he's done very well in the championship the last couple of seasons, but to step up not only to the Premier League, but then to also help fire Burnley to safety. Certainly to step up, but he's done very well for Wales, I think. And, and, and I think he's, he's such a big physical presence that you can you can kind of go away from the deficiencies he has. You know, people will say, oh, he's not quick enough. Oh, perhaps his touch isn't good enough. But for me, he'd be, he'd be an ideal candidate for Burnley. They need to get a replacement with Chris Wood. And you're not going to get many many guys as big, as, as good in the air as Keith Moore because he's fantastic aerially. He'll win them free kicks. He'll rough up defenders. He'll get them up the pitch. So I can certainly understand why he would be a player they're looking at. Um, and as as we've seen during his international career, he does pop up with a key goal or two. You know, he scored some big goals for Wales in, in qualifiers and, and and in big games. And, and I think if Burnley are going to need that, and they're going to need this presence now. Um, you know, we look at Ashby Barnes, and he was so good for a period at the early point of last season, and, and then he fell away, and then the injury came, and. And yes, they desperately need him back and they need Jay Rodriguez to kind of rediscover his goal-scoring habit. Maxwell Cornet returning from the African Cup of Nations. They'll be hoping, unfortunately for the Ivory Coast, Bernie will be hoping that they kind of fall out quicker than 
sooner rather than later because they need him back in the talent that he has. Um, we've also got Mata Vidra there, who's never really done it at Premier League level. So I think it would certainly be a punt to go and keep for more, but I think it could be a punt that really, if you get him for a decent price, and he could get, he could get you four, five, six goals between now and the end of the season, and he could really help your team and, and help those around him because again, big guy, focal point, very good on set pieces at both ends. He'd be quite a smart signing if it were to work out. Just finally on on this transfer deal, um, Sean Dyche would have been reluctant to let Chris Wood go. Obviously, you mentioned there that there are suggestions that it, that it was a decision that was made above his head. I mean, it feels like for a while now, you know, possibly the last 18 months, two years, uh, if not maybe a little bit longer than that, that there have been uh, murmurings of discontent uh, among Sean Dyche and, and his relationship with the Burnley board and how that's progressing and, and so on and so forth. He wouldn't be the first manager uh, if he were to, to, let's say this was the straw that broke the camel's back, he wouldn't be the first manager to walk away because of transfer dealings that, that he doesn't necessarily agree with and decisions made by the board. But does this put a further strain on his relationship with the Burnley board now that, that a striker that, you know, even though he wasn't in the best form this season, he was still regularly looking to, to lead his line and now he doesn't have him? It could well do, Ned. You could be right. Um, I found it really interesting that in September, Sean Dyche signed a new four-year contract at Burnley because he was into the final year and there was so much talk about him potentially going and, and that this would be his final year and that perhaps they hadn't put in the money he'd been hoping for to build. And then they signed Maxwell Cornet and, and then and then Deitch did sign his new deal. So in that respect, you'd have to say that, okay, perhaps the garden is, is rosier than, than we all think. But certainly if, you, if you've got a manager who wants to keep his number nine and then, and then you've got a board who, I'm, I'm sorry, we've got to take the money. Um, Sean, you're just going to have to kind of get on with it. There is going to be an element of friction that that causes. It's all about the replacement, isn't it? As far as Sean Dyche is concerned, he has to have a replacement in. He needs to replace Wood. He needs to get himself a focal, a focal point. Perhaps the replacement that, that they come up with as, as, a, as a unit is something that, okay, we'll, we'll get a striker, but we'll also spend a bit of money on a midfielder as well. Perhaps it's something that evolves the team that way. It's all about how to have a replace and, and, and if they replace well, I'm sure he'll be happy. If they don't and, and, and we move forwards and they look short and we get to a point where we are entering the final weeks of the season and Burnley look nailed on for the drop, I'm sure this will be used as a stick to kind of beat them with and, and that Sean Dyche won't be happy. Um, so it's all, it's all about how Burnley replaced Chris Wood. Aston Villa are moving fast in this transfer window, Alex. Um, they've already wrapped up the loan deal for Felipe Coutinho. We'll come on to Luca Dina uh, a little bit more in a second. But with Coutinho, I mean, we spoke about him at length on Monday show, I believe, um, discussing kind of the, the rise and wherefores behind the deal. But obviously since then, he's, he, he has been confirmed. He's, we've seen him in the Aston Villa shirt um, for the first time. And he's going to be playing just in time uh, for the next Liverpool man. A nice little potential de- uh, debut for Aston Villa this weekend at Old Trafford against Man United. I'm sure uh, his gaffer, his new gaffer, will be telling him just how much that means to him still, even though he's not playing in the red anymore. Yes, yeah, certainly. And I'm, I'm guessing this is a situation where with about 15 minutes to go, Aston Villa and Man United, if that score line's 1-1 and you're Steven Gerrard and you're turning to your bench and Philip Coutinho is there, you, you don't have to say a lot, do you? Just, Philippe, go and win us this game. Um he has that talent. We know that. We haven't seen it often enough since he left Liverpool. Um, 
but Steven Gerrard knows him so well. Coutinho has made no secret that he has joined Aston Villa because of the Steven Gerrard factor. And I think this is a, a really smart move because you looked at the Villa bench in the FA Cup game on Monday night and without being disrespectful, there wasn't really a lot there that you thought when the scoreline was at 1-0, despite Villa playing really well, that you thought that will improve them and can help them win this game. They were kind of like-for-like subs or you had a young kid coming on and, and they looked a bit in need. And this will obviously help them. This gives Steven Gerrard a, a player who on his day is genuinely outstanding, gives him a top draw replacement either as a substitute when he's a little bit fitter I would assume he'll be really pushing to play because he's gone there to play and I'm sure Gerard has envisaged this is how I get him in the team um, but as you say perfect game for a former Liverpool man to step into there is no doubt he will get an outstanding ovation from the Aston Villa supporters should he feature at any point um, and yeah, it's one to keep an eye on this weekend because that's got all the makings of a very good game. We saw how well Villa played at Old Trafford and, and I'm sure they've come away from there very disappointed not to have progressed in the FA Cup. But it will have given them confidence that this weekend they can they can do a number on United at Villa Park. Yeah, I can almost see Coutinho stepping up for a free kick in the 85th minute in front of the Stretford end already. Um, but in terms of him arriving at Aston Villa, um, much higher. All the fans are, are rightly getting excited because it is a it is a coup after all for Aston Villa. You know, he's a he's, um, but the pressure that then comes with is he able to to deal with it? Because you know, with the greatest respect to the Villa fan base, I'm pretty sure they're going to be looking at him, and when he does start, even when he comes off the bench to uh, you know assists every game or goals every game or contribute heavily in every single match, and that's going to be quite difficult to a do and, and be also live up to. Yes, it will. And, and, and much will depend on, is this for Philip Coutinho that we saw at Liverpool? Because your question there, that Philip Coutinho perfectly capable of doing it because he did it week in, week out at Anfield. If it's for Philip Coutinho that he didn't have the personality to do what Barcelona thought he could do, then it'll be a struggle. Because Barcelona, Barcelona, of course, when they signed Philip Coutinho and, and they spent a, a club record fee on him, the idea was he was going to be the new Andres Iniesta. That was the role that had been earmarked for him. And then they realised that he wasn't quite able to do that, so they tried to turn him into the new Neymar and then play him further forwards. And he, he wasn't quite able to do that either because he doesn't really have the pace for that kind of, that kind of front three and to be that attacking and to run in behind people. Um, so it's all, about, it's all about what Philip Coutinho we see there is no doubting his talent and I'm sure Steven Gerrard will be he, he's played with him before he'll know the character of the man he'll know what he needs to say what he needs to do to get the very best out of him um, if you're an Aston Villa fan of course you are so excited because he he has that talent he can he can turn a game on on its head with with one 30 yard shot with one outstanding pass with one little moment of magic so it, it's a big ask for him and, and but you look at Villa right now and they're not in a relegation battle. They are a team that is looking upwards. Um, they're pretty comfortable. So it's, it's not like he's going there and it's a, it's a situation where all the pressure's on because we have to win. There's, there's no two ways about it. You have to win this game. You have to win the next game. But not in the mix of a top four battle either. So I think it's, it's, a, it's a good position that Katina can go in and, and they can look at him and he can look at things and it's just about giving him confidence back. If he's confident, Villa have got an outstanding player that can take them up a level or two they need to get that confidence back into him because we haven't seen it for some time. 
whether, whether at Barcelona or during that loan spell at Bayern Munich, when on occasion we saw the old Coutinho, he, he did produce real moments of quality, um, but we didn't see it often enough. It's about getting that confidence back for him now so that we can see the consistency because there's no doubt he's a terrific player when he's at it. Is there perhaps something about the Premier League that seems to suit Felipe Coutinho's game? As you said there, didn't really cut it at Barcelona. There was only flashes of brilliance at Bayern Munich. So he's not enjoyed the best of spells in La Liga, in, in Bundesliga as well. So is there something about the English game that maybe he exploits or it kind of brings out the best in him? It could be. I mean, traditionally you would say no. Traditionally you would say this five foot, five foot seven, five foot eight slight Brazilian guy playing in English football is going to get kicked up in the air. He's going to get a lot of knocks and you're not going to fancy it. That would be that would be you think twenty odd years ago, pre Janino, I would say. Nowadays there's no reason why he can't thrive. And we've seen him thrive at, at Liverpool with with the Anfield fans behind him and and you would say that with with Aston Villa fans giving his backing they will get behind him and, and he'll be able to thrive there. I think that's the big difference in English football, isn't it? The fans will get behind their players. They might absolutely hammer you post-game if, if things have gone wrong or whatever. But for those 90 minutes, they'll get behind you. It's very rare that you will have a, a player whistled or booed. You go to Barcelona and that's a pretty regular occurrence if they're not if they're not up to scratch within the opening 10 minutes. The, the whistles come out, the boos start, the hankies come out. So I think that's that's possibly something that if that happened in his early days at Barcelona, which I'm pretty sure it did, that escalates. And, and it, he seems like the kind of character that perhaps that became something he would overthink and he never quite got his confidence back. And that's led him down this path. That's not going to happen at Villa Park. Those fans will get right behind him and hopefully we will see his best. As well as Felipe Coutinho signing for Aston Villa, it sounds this morning as if they've agreed uh, terms with Everton over a deal for Luca Dino, which we kind of expected for the last few days after reporting that they were front runners in that deal at least. Um, so another good signing for Aston Villa, but do they need to strengthen anywhere else in this window, Alex? Oh, that's a very good question. The, goal, the goalkeeper is excellent. So, so that's if we go through a team, we can go for that. You, with Dino and Matty Cash, you've got two very good fullbacks who can play the way Steven Gerrard wants them to play, pushing on, getting forward, having the recovery pace to get back. He's got his first choice centre-halves, Jesse Conza and Tyrone Mings. So I think that, that back five is settled. Um, John McGinn's obviously first choice in centre midfield. Douglas Louise as well speculation over his future long term and whether he could possibly be replaced in the summer because he may look to move on but right now that he's pretty set in stone I think you've, you've then got a spot in midfield where you've got a number of players Morgan Sanson um, Jacob Ramsey's been playing there very well, very well of late a couple of others as well vying for that position Ramsey's got the shirt at the moment and he needs he needs room to grow I think because he's a terrific young player you've then got Emi Benduia you've now got Coutinho You've got Amaro Ghazi, who plays wide, unless he moves on to Everton, which is something that's been mentioned. Um, and then you've got Danny Ings, Ollie Watkins in attack. So I think they're going to be pretty set. I think this will be their business, Dino and Coutinho. Um, and I think Stephen Joe will be happy with that. I think if I was in his shoes, I would be. I think they've got a very making to a very solid, solid side there. So it's a very decent starting eleven. Um as you move forward into the summer and, and onwards, then yes, he'll want to strengthen again. He probably has positions in his mind where he wants to upgrade. Clearly, Matt Target was, was somebody he felt he could upgrade on. And perhaps perhaps if Luca Dino doesn't fall out with Rapper Benitez, 
we don't see Aston Villa make a move in this transfer window. Perhaps Gerard continues with his lot and, and kind of goes on. But he sees Luca Dini as an upgrade. So you go out and you get the deal done. And, and credit to Aston Villa for doing that. They've, they've clearly identified somewhere where they think we can improve on that. Gerard's been there a couple of months now. He's clearly seen that. Gone. That's where I feel is the next step forwards. And they've gone and done it. So credit to them. And I think Luca Dini as an attacking fullback, he brings a hell of a lot brings that pace down the left-hand side, brings an excellent crossing ability. How good he is defensively, I'll let Everton fans answer that one. Um, personally, I don't think he's the greatest defender of his far post, but if he's not, if, if you mask those deficiencies and you accentuate his positives, you've got an excellent fullback there. Just a couple of quick lines before we go this morning. Um, Felipe Coutinho is coming back to the Premier League from Spain. One player that wants to do the reverse of that and go from the Premier League to Spain uh, was Anthony Martial, hoping to join Sevilla on loan. But it looks like that one's dead in the water with Sevilla unwilling to meet Man United's demands. But that in itself is a little bit strange for me, Alex. The player, from all the noises that we've heard, the player clearly wants to move on some way, somehow, this window um, because he's not getting much of a look in at Man United. It's a big year for players, um, a World Cup at, at the end of it. So they'll be looking to play regularly. It was a deal that you thought would have been in everyone's best interests. Uh, you know, United to, even if it was a little bit to get Martial off the pay packet, um, Martial to go out and play and then Sevilla getting a, a striker who on his day has shown that he can be good. It just seems a bit bizarre and Daft that United are now setting the bar a bit too high in their demands and and what they want for a player who they clearly don't fancy this season. Yeah, and as you say, he's made he's made no secret of his desire to to move on and to get regular games. Um, my only guess is Sevilla don't want to pay anywhere near what Man United want. That Man United are are looking for the kind of they'll want some sort of return on their investment. Um, obviously, it was a very big outlay on Anthony Marshall when they signed him. He's at a decent age still. So they will want some sort of and what we what we're we looking at? Thirty million perhaps. If, if I said to you that's a ballpark, that's a figure that you'd want for Anthony Marshall, would you would you go higher or lower? The, you know, the deal for Chris Wood has probably made them go a bit higher now. They're thinking if he's worth twenty twenty five, Marshall's probably worth forty. <laughs> well, exactly. Um and you look at Sevilla, you look at you look at them as a team that have been regular European competitors when trophies you think if you guys want to if you guys want this quality addition pay for him and we all know how well Sevilla use the transfer market especially with selling players for who they buy for cheap and they sell for big money you're certainly thinking to yourself well you're probably going to bring in a decent whack yourselves in the summer when you potentially sell Jules Kunde for 60 million plus so you know, you, you have the ability to pay the kind of money that Manchester United seemingly want for Anthony Marshall. If you're the player, you're probably, you're obviously disappointed because you know you want to go and play regularly. You're not going to do that at United. Um, you, you have made clear that you desire a new challenge. So he'll be, he'll be unhappy with the situation, but, you know, he's under contract. Man United are well within their rights to say we want we want X figure for Anthony Marshall. Um it's just an unfortunate situation, I think, because he's such a talented player who we don't see it consistently enough from. Um, and it's been clear for some time that he needs to move somewhere where where perhaps the perhaps the overall spotlight isn't so bright, but where his individual spotlight can can kind of be brighter, um, if you will, where he's more of the star man. Um because it, it, it's just gone a bit sour, hasn't it, at Old Trafford? Um, 
but seemingly that won't be severe. So he's got 20 days or so to for his agent to find him something else. Now, he may have to make some sort of some sort of allowances on his side, but okay, I don't need huge wages. Okay, I can go on loan or or whatever it is. But it's 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 an interesting time because United obviously there are a number of players there unhappy at not playing regularly at the moment and who want to move and, and he's just another of them. Last but by no means least, it's taken until January 12th, but we finally mentioned in Erling Haaland on this January Transfer Window uh, podcast. Um, his future is supposedly going to be discussed next week with the Dortmund board. I mean, we'll both be amazed if he moves on uh, in, in this window, but I suppose there'll be clubs looking and, and trying to listen and, and hear what comes from it because I, I think we expect possibly one of the biggest sagas of this summer is definitely going to be Haaland's future and, and where he goes. But the list of clubs that are going to be interested in and trying to convince him, you know, it's almost going to be like when LeBron James was deciding who to, to switch from in, in the NBA when he left the Cleveland Cavaliers for, for Miami Heat, you know, whether or not we're going to get a Harland style, the decision show, I don't know, but um, there's going to be a lot of clubs listening with interest as to what comes from this meeting next week. Yes, yeah, certainly. And I think Borussia Dortmund will be very forthcoming on it. Um, they don't tend to hide what's going on there. And, and I'm pretty sure that if, if they come out of this meeting and the, the decision is that's it, Erling, Erling's done, he's going in the summer, you'll you'll pretty much hear within the hour that that decision is is, is there and let the scramble begin. Um, there are only a finite amount of clubs where Erling Haaland really will be going, you know. It, it's Real Madrid, Barcelona. If Barcelona can scrap together the funds, as they always seem to do despite being bankrupt. Um, in Manchester City, potentially Manchester United, you would say Bayern Munich, but Robin Lewandowski is obviously there and I don't think Bayern Munich will want to completely break their pay structure for Erling Haaland. It's just the way they operate. Um, so if there are only a finite amount of clubs, look, Borussia Dortmund will be bullish and they will they will turn around in the days leading up to it and say, as they already have, we hope to keep Erling Haaland next season. We would love to have a new contract for him. Um, but you just don't see it. He's, he's, kind, of, he's kind of already outgrown Dortmund and 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 where they are, they he needs to be going somewhere now and challenging for titles and being the main man. Um, and unfortunately for Dortmund, every year we think to ourselves, can can they get back to challenging Bayern Munich? Can they get close? Is this the year when when they break Bayern's dominance? And every year they're found wanting. Um, and this is this season's been no different. I think he he will will move on, and it will all be about where does he go. Seemingly, he prefers to move to Spain, and and I mean that leads us down the pathway of can Real Madrid put together their own new Galacticos with he and Kylian Mbappe in the same summer? We wait to see. Um, as you say, if he if some sort of decision is taken where he moves this month, I'll be amazed. It just doesn't make financial sense for the player. It doesn't make financial sense for anybody um, other than perhaps Borussia Dortmund because they can get a fee that isn't the release clause that kicks in in the summer. But let's be honest, he's going to see out the season at Dortmund and then we're going to get the big Erling Haaland move ahead of next season. It's just a matter of where. Alex, thanks for joining us today. Really appreciate your time as always. As ever, you can keep it across all the latest transfer news across the Mirror, the Express and the Stars website, as well as all of Reach's regional titles. But for now, it's goodbye.